Uh, let's get straight into this. Philippians chapter number two. I've titled this message tonight, Are You Working Out? Are You Working Out? And uh, the, the answer, if you didn't hear me, uh, as Pastor said this morning, I said, Amen. I'm a very good example of someone who works out. Amen. Okay, and I, I'm, I'm not going to exactly be talking about though that, however, but I'll kind of bring that up in the relation for it, okay? But let's look at Philippians chapter number 2, please. Philippians chapter number 2, and then let's look at verse number 12. Philippians chapter number 2, and verse number 12 specifically. If you're there, church, let me hear you say amen. 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 All right. The Bible says this, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father God, I, I love you. I thank you so much again for uh, how you've just uh, used this wretch like me, God, a chief of sinners, like Paul says sometimes. And Lord, I'm just thankful um, and, and what you're doing in my life and in the life of this uh, body here, this church. And I just pray that as we come off revival, Lord, and that we wouldn't lose it, that we'd keep it, God. And I pray that you'd just uh, use me to share what you put on my heart and what you spoke to me first about uh, and make it clear and, and speak with clarity to this church and, and hopefully can be an encouragement, something practical. And a blessing, Lord, to help us all grow more spiritually, God, and in the end to be blameless as we meet you, God, one day. Such an encouraging thing we heard so many times tonight. We're going to see you. Man, it's going to be worth it all. We're going to graduate, God, and, and we're looking forward to that. But God, help us to be blameless. Help us to work out our salvation, God, and we'll give you glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So before, uh, and usually I like to just get straight into it, but... I won't do that just yet because I think we really need some background, uh, and it, it's, it's really neat because I didn't plan this, but on Wednesdays in the Renewing the Mind series that I'm going through, I'm actually in Philippians 2 right now, and I didn't plan on, on being in the same book tonight for the message, but the Lord just worked that out. Uh, but I want to give you some background events of this book because it'll make a lot more sense what Paul is trying to say here in verse 12 and 13 if you understand what's going on here. So we know, again, the author of the book of Philippians is Paul, and he's writing to the church at Philippi, and according to Acts chapter number 16, it would have been the second missionary journey of Paul, is when he went to Philippi after the Macedonian vision that he had, and God called him there, and he established a church, and he led many people to the Lord there. Now this church was primarily made up of Gentiles, non-Jews. There were some Jews, but not a lot, but primarily there were a lot of Gentiles at the church. Again, newborn Christians, people saved right here at, at Philippi. Now, the reason why Paul was writing this book here, the book of Philippians, was because he was updating the church about his current uh, situation, which at this point in time, Paul was in prison, okay? And uh, the church of Philippi was a loving church, and they, they were very loyal to Paul, and they sent him a gift, a blessing to help out in his ministry and to meet his needs. And so when Paul received this, he's writing to them, and he's thanking them in this letter, and then he's also updating them and letting them know, hey, guys, I'm letting you all know my situation. I'm giving you a current update, uh, because you understand they didn't have cell phones back then. They, didn't, they couldn't just FaceTime. Paul couldn't just dial the number at Philippi and say, hey, guys, here's what's going on. So there wasn't a lot of communication. So Paul comes to Philippi in the second missionary journey. He leads a lot of people to the Lord. He establishes a church, and then uh, he moves on as the Lord wanted him to do. 
And when he moved on, again, there wasn't much communication. There wasn't much to, to keep updated with. But we see from this letter, if you read it thoroughly, Paul really loved this church. And not that he didn't love anybody else. He loves a lot of the churches that he writes to. But he really loves this church. And he's writing, again, this is the background. He's writing to this church to thank them and to give them an update about what's going on and specifically with his imprisonment. And he's asking for prayers. But here's what we need to understand, okay? When we think about the background of these events, as it'll make sense as we bring this home to verse 12 and 13. Here's what we need to understand. Paul heavily, uh, very much so, influenced the church at Philippi, and he greatly cared for them as they did him. You understand that? Paul had a major, major influence in the lives of the people at Philippi. A lot of people looked to Paul. A lot of people, uh, uh, you know, for him as an example and, and kind of like strove to be like him as Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. You know, a lot of people, the church at Philippi was that church that really looked up to Paul and really cared for him as he did them. And so he meant a lot to them. He heavily influenced them. But unfortunately, like I said, he couldn't just stay there at Philippi, right? He wasn't the pastor of the church there. He was more like an evangelist at the time. You'll see how this relates, okay, to revival. By the way, this sermon's after revival. The whole point is to back up revival. It's kind of like a revival service. Paul comes, he brings revival, but kind of like an evangelist, let me keep going to different places, preaching the gospel and different sermons and move on. So unfortunately, Paul couldn't just camp out here and stay at Philippi forever. But we know that scripture tells us that Paul went on to turn the world upside down. Amen. He preached the gospel, and the Bible says he turned the world upside down. Uh, yet he was imprisoned for preaching the gospel. But then again, we also know because of this imprisonment, and we keep on reading the gospels, we know eventually this is going to lead to his doom. This is going to lead to his death his imprisonment for preaching the gospel. Again, he couldn't just stay there, but he went forth. He changed the world, and he preached the gospel, but then he was imprisoned. Now, Paul wrote again to the church at Philippi to update them about his imprisonment, and he wrote to thank them for the gifts that they sent him. Now, think about this, okay? You got the background now. You got the backdrop. As we open here to Philippians chapter number 2, and we read verses 12 and 13, we see something very interesting you see, Paul, for, for a moment, I'd like to say, it was days, sure, but for a moment is what I like to call it. Paul had been around, let's just say for a week, like a revival meeting. Paul had been around for like a week to be helping these people at Philippi. He was helping their spiritual needs, but not anymore. You see, he left, and like he says here, he was absent, the Bible says. Think about that. He's gone. He's away from the church, the people at Philippi, the leader, the people that everybody looked up to, the, pe the person that everybody uh, kind of wanted to be like, and uh, someone who was leading by example, Paul. He was there for a, a moment, it seemed, and he left, and he's gone, and he's absent. Uh, he's not there to help their spiritual needs anymore. Can you imagine this, by the way? You get brand new converts. You know new converts have questions. Read the book of Thessalonians. It's a lot of questions in there that Paul is answering, like 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you ever wondered why Paul wrote about the, the rapture and the coming, it's because people were asking questions. What happened to my loved one because the church at Thessalonica was persecuted? And so new converts have questions, and you can imagine all these brand new saved people who, who, who they were looking to Paul, and then he's gone, and you can imagine they're kind of left 
just wondering like, man, what about this and what about that? And, and you can imagine Paul as well. Can you imagine a leader who left the church and he's probably wondering, I wonder how they're doing. Uh, and, and you see this again in, th in the book of Thessalonians. Have they kept the faith? Was my labor in vain? And he's kind of wondering about them. And there's just kind of like this attitude. That they're both thinking about each other. What's going on? And so he finally gets an update from them and he's given them an update, right? But he hasn't been there. He's no longer there to hold their hand. This is the point. He's no longer there at the church at Philippi to just hold their hand and walk them in their Christian walk and to help them grow. He's no longer there. He's away from them. He has no communication with them like a cell phone, no FaceTime, none of that. And, and so this is an issue. Because if you read the book of Philippians, you'll see there's a lot of division in this, in this church, right? He wasn't always there to just fix every issue. He wasn't always there to uh, help, help maybe any strife between going with members. Do you understand that? He just wasn't there to just stay there as a pastor and to help out and, and just to camp and, and hold their hand in their spiritual walk. He is gone. He's away. I need you to understand that he's away. He has no communication with them. This seems to be, again... Now, think about this. I think that they were so used to Paul, having Paul around that they relied on him for everything. Think about this for, for a second. I think this church at Philippi, and, and there's nothing wrong with this, right? As a pastor is to oversee a church, I think they looked to him, right, for an, example, for an example, but I think they relied too heavily much upon him that by the time he left, things were different. And so you can imagine this church who has a lot of spiritual needs right now. Paul just isn't there to meet them. But he pens down these words as we read here. We see something interesting as he tells them. Look at this. Look back at verse number 12 now. This is what he writes. Okay, think about all that as that background as we kind of get into this. It says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but here's what matters right here, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Did you catch that? Does that verse make a little bit more sense now of what's going on here? Did you catch it? He's writing to the church and he's telling these guys, look, when I was there, we had a great time, didn't we? I remember a lot of you, when I led to the Lord, I remember the, the, the good fellowship, as we just heard the Sunday school, church ought to have fellowship. According to Acts, we see that. They continued it in doctrine, the breaking of bread, fellowship, and etc. right? And, and they had fellowship here in the church, and, and they grew together. But Paul left, and he's writing, and he says, guys, I remember when I was there. I remember when I was helping you guys, and then I was answering your questions, and I was helping lead this church, but now I'm gone. And he says, I was glad that when I was there, you know what I remember when I was there at the church? Is you guys were very obedient to the things that God had for you. You were very obedient. But you know what he's writing now? He's like, but now I'm absent. <laughs> I'm not there anymore, church. I'm not going to be there to answer every question you have. I'm not going to be there to hold your hand and get you through every little trial. He says, now I'm gone. And he says, just like how you obeyed when I was there, I'm begging and I'm praying you obey when I'm gone. I'm absent now. And he says, not even that, much more now that I'm gone, keep the faith 
continue this walk that you've started here with the God of all creation. Do you understand that background there? So he's saying, now much more in my absence, he says, work out your own, your own salvation. Again, think about this. In his absence, what I love here is he told them to work out. <laughs> think about that. He told them to work out. And that's why when I say work out, a lot of you think, right, lifting weights, right? That's what we think, exercising, right? Building something and bodily exercise profited little, the Bible says. Uh, but he's talking about not just bodily exercise, not just bodily working out. He's telling him, work out your salvation. But you know what I love what he says here? He says, in my absence, work out your own salvation. Think about that for a second. Salvation. Aren't you thankful that it's so personal? Look, I'm glad. I mean, think about it. We all, in a sense, we believe in the same God. But God spent times with, He spends His time with me personally. Salvation is a very, very personal thing. And Paul is telling these guys, each and every one of you have your own individual relationship with the God of all creation. And you need to quit focusing on everybody else's salvation and focus on your own salvation. Because there's a lot of division in this church. There's a lot of issues, a lot of arguing going on, a lot of strife. And Paul says, quit looking at everybody else. You know what you really need to do? Look at yourself. Worry about yourself. Work out your own salvation. And you did when I was there, but even more importantly now, in my absence, work out your own salvation. So Paul was trying to say this. Look, this is what Paul is trying to say. He says, I'm not going to be around forever to hold your hand through your salvation. It's time to work out your own salvation. It's time to put your own work into it. Spiritual growth, listen to me, church, is very independent. You hear me? Spiritual growth is independent. There will be nobody to blame for your lack of spiritual growth but yourself. There is nobody to blame for my lack of spiritual growth but myself. And Paul was trying to tell them there, even though I'm gone, that doesn't mean you can't flourish as a Christian. I know I'm your leader, and I know I helped you, and I know you obeyed when I was there, but even more now that I'm absent, obey yet the more, abound more. You don't need me. Think about that. You don't need me to grow spiritually. We don't need Paul. He's trying to tell them that. I'm not going to be there to hold your hand through this whole thing. I don't know if that's what the church thought. I, they were so excited to have Paul. I don't know if they thought, man, Paul, he's so great. He's going to be with us forever. And Paul, nope, I'm leaving. What do we do now? I can just imagine the church and how much they scrambled and kind of scattered when Paul left to continue his missionary journeys and continue preaching the gospel. I, I think there's probably a little, bit of, a little bit of a panic, right? They're only leader, and they're thinking, what do we do now? What's the next step? What's going on? And I could just imagine Paul just praying for them. I keep you in remembrance always in my prayers. Lord, I'm begging, please keep the church at Philippi. I'm gone, and I'm worrying if my labor was in vain. I mean, I can just see this all unfolding. And Paul finally hears good news, and he's telling him, guys, look, I'm glad to hear this, but more importantly, I'm gone now. You're just not going to have me around anymore. I'm not going to be holding your hand through this whole salvation thing. You need to learn how to work it out for yourself. That's what he's saying. You need to learn how to work it out for yourself. It's time to put your work into it. And again, if they didn't grow spiritually, listen, if they weren't going to grow spiritually, if the church at Philippi stopped growing spiritually, Paul wasn't to blame. You understand that? They were to blame. Paul was not to blame. 
It was going to be their fault and nobody else's. Paul told them to work it out. Do what you need to do to grow and to become blameless before God. Look at the verse. Here's the reason why, by the way. Look at verse 13. It is a reason why, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. And I'll get to that verse here in just a second. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless. That's the whole point of this. Continue in your faith. Continue in the work that I showed you. Work, at it, work it out for yourself. Quit waiting for me to come back to you at Philippi. You read this letter, by the way. He wants to go back. Paul longs to go back. And again, he's in prison, though. But he says, don't wait for me to come back to have revival. I'm going to be gone. Get your own revival. Read your own Bible. Don't wait for me to come back and to teach you and to preach to you. Read your own Bible. Work it out for yourselves. Why? What's the point that you yourself can be blameless before God? The end goal again. That's what his point was. And then he then adds there in Philippians 2.13. Look at that verse again. Verse 13 says this. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. This is what he's trying to say, and this is what I wrote down, right? Thinking about this. He's trying to say, and know this, by the way, not only am I not there for you right now, I'm not going to be there the whole way of your salvation. I'm not going to hold your hand through this whole thing and guide you all the way up. But think about this. He's like, not only that, he says, know this. It was never me working in you in the first place. It was God. Isn't that so encouraging? It was never Dr. Richard Harper working in us this last week. It was God. And it always will be. And Paul's trying to tell them, there is nothing special about me. I have, I, I'm, and I'll get to this part of foolishness of preaching, but there's nothing special. He's like, it was never me working. It was God working in you. And he says that even though Paul, even though he was absent and will permanently be absent physically, he's going to die from this, he was trying to encourage him, look, I may not be with you. I'm absent, but guess who is with you? God. He never left you. I'm gone. I know your physical leader is gone, but listen again, I was never the one working in you. You don't need me, church. You don't need my preaching. You can do this all, on your, all for yourself. That's what he's trying to say. Because you have God. I was just an instrument of God, and God was using the foolishness of my preaching, but in the end, it was God that was working in you. And though I'm absent, He is still there. Amen? Amen? He's still there. I may be gone, but that doesn't matter because it was never me working in you. It was God working in you. And in my absence, God is still working in you. And he's working in them and through them. And this amazing transformation, by the way, the amazing transformation that took, took uh, place in Paul's life could take place in any one of theirs. Isn't that amazing? Paul turned the world upside down. And again, Paul's trying to say, I have no advantage over you. You think I got here because I have some sort of... I have no advantage. We have the same Bible. We have the same God. We have the same time. You understand that, church? Spiritual growth is, is an equal playing ground for every one of us. You have the same Bible I have. You have the same God I have. You have the same time I have. Lord willing, right? We know we're live right here. And he's trying to say, tell them again, the same transformation. And we know what a miraculous and amazing transformation that took place in Paul's life. And he says that, that same transformation that took place in my life, he told them, can take place in yours. Because it's God who's working in and through you. It's not me. They didn't need Paul. Just like, listen to me now. I really mean this. They didn't need Paul. Just like technically, we don't need an evangelist for revival. 
Why even have one? We don't, we don't, they didn't need Paul for revival. Neither do we need an evangelist for revival. We really don't. We just need to read our Bibles. We just need to pray. We don't need a foolishness of preaching. God uses that, but we don't need that. We just need what we have. God has given us the tools to make that same transformation that happened in Paul's life to happen in our life. There's no advantage that he has. And again, we saw in 1 Corinthians, you can write this reference down in 1 Corinthians 1.21. That's the verse that the Bible talks about. Yes, even though we don't necessarily need an evangelist for revival, God does use the foolishness. I love how he says that because when you think about it, isn't it kind of silly? And no offense to myself, but you guys are all just sitting here listening to me talk. And we're doing this for what, maybe 30 minutes? I mean, this is kind of foolishness, right? But God uses this nonetheless but we don't need this. You understand that? For revival, he's trying to say, you don't need me. God is the sole author of the work in your life. Read Philippians 1.6. He that hath begun a good work in you is going to finish it until the end. God is the sole author of work in your life, and he's going to work it out for you. And Paul tells them to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling, which simply means this, with take great care about your uh, salvation. Take, take great care about uh, where, where you are in, in your walk with God and be alert. Take great care of your salvation. In other words, he's saying this, care a lot for your spiritual state. Care a lot for your spiritual state. You know, we just came through a week of revival and God definitely used Dr. Richard Harper to bring us some messages that we needed to hear this week. So many. However, Dr. Harper, Pastor, they're not going to hold our hand through revival. You understand that, church? Dr. Harper's gone. Does that mean revival's lost? Pastor's here, and praise God for pastor. Amen. But he is not going to hold our hand through revival. No one's going to be there to hold our hand. We don't need, in a sense, these things. And isn't it sad sometimes that we have other people that care more about our spiritual state than we do ourselves? Nobody should ever care more about my spiritual state than me. And nobody should ever care more about your spiritual state than you. But it's sad sometimes that we have an evangelist, that we have pastor and other people that care more about where you are spiritually than you do yourself. But that's just how it goes, isn't it? And you can imagine Paul, again, taking great care in his prayer life for the church at Philippi. And again, this is everything that he's trying to tell them. How much more could we get done as a church if we stopped trying to work out someone else's salvation instead of our own? Think about this. We waste so much time worrying about where everyone else is spiritually that we don't care for our own state. That's not what Paul's saying. Work out your own salvation. Now, for the last couple of minutes here, I just really quickly want to talk about our salvation here. You see, it's not easy. It's not just as simple and easy for me to just tell all of you what to do. Because in reality, after a week of revival, I don't really know how the Lord worked in your heart. But I know how He worked in mine. But I can't really tell you, well, God called you to this. God told you to get rid of this. God, I, I don't really know that. I, I wish it was as easy for me to just tell you, this is what you need to do. But I don't know the specific will of God for your life. I only know the specific will of God for my life. But I know this much, 
there are some generic things in the Word of God, some universal truths that we can pull out that I believe is a blessing for all of us after coming off of a week of revival and we're absent of maybe a leader and pastor isn't going to hold our hand through this whole thing about revival. We need to take care, church, of our own spiritual state. And when I think about these things, there are just three things here, and there's a lot more, trust me, I promise you, but, but I'm just going to go through three things here really quickly that I really believe can help us work out our own salvation. And so when I think about working out our own salvation, here's number one. Number one, meditation. Meditation. When I think about working out, exercising my own spiritual self, and keeping my revival and, and going through this and not backsliding and going back to the emotions and again, all that stuff, I think about meditation. I want you to go to Joshua with me really quickly. You're going to turn to several passages here. Uh, not, not too much actually, but just go to Joshua with me. Go to the book of Joshua, and then I want you to find uh, chapter number 1. <clears throat> this is a very familiar verse. A lot of you know this verse. Joshua chapter number 1, and look with me at verse number 8. <clears throat> Joshua chapter number 1. And when I think about coming off a revival, I think a really big thing that we all, we all and when it t comes to working out our own salvation, number 1 is just simple meditation. Look with me at Joshua chapter number 1, and look with me at verse number 8. It says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. But thou shalt, what's that word there? Meditate therein. For how long? Day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then, after that meditation, then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and thou shalt have good success. You know what, church? This is simply what that verse is saying. Don't forget about what God spoke to you about this last week. Meditate. You know, you know... I, I'm not going to ask, but I wonder how many of us actually still remember what it is that God spoke to us about just last week in these revival services. Isn't it amazing how quickly we're just in the moment and we hear such a great message and we're being spoken to one week later? Uh, I forgot what was preached last week. No wonder why we don't keep our revival. You know what we need to learn? It's how to meditate. How to, how to think upon the things that God is talking to us about. Psalm chapter 1, verse 2 says this, and you don't need to turn there, just some references I'm giving you here. But his delight, speaking about the godly man, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Psalm 143, 5. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all thy works. I muse on the work of thy hands. You know, Paul taught Timothy a lot of Bible doctrines, a lot of lessons, and Paul told this to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.15. Meditate upon these things, he says. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. And throughout Scripture, that, that is not even close to a huge list about verses on meditation, but I'm trying to prove a point, is that you'll see throughout Scripture, is the Bible tells us, meditate, meditate on what you hear, meditate on what you read, meditate on what you learn. Like the book of James says, he, don't, don't look in the mirror like we just had a revival and then go with the way straightway and forgetteth what manner of man you are. Meditate. Remember the things. You know, one of those things that can help you remember what you got in a message? Take your notes. Take your notes. I have my notebook over there that's pretty filled. And, and, and I know that if I didn't have this thing, there'd be a lot of stuff I'd forget. And I just go through all these and I just take notes. Look, if you don't have a journal, get a journal. If you're like me, ask my wife. I have a very horrible, I have a horrible memory, okay? Uh, you can ask her a lot of things I forget all the time. 
But listen to me, talking about planning your revival and how to plan for this step, because that'll be the next point here, making sense of this. If you're very forgetful, buy a journal and take notes. You're never going to remember how God spoke to you if you don't write this stuff down. Some people, right, those kids in school we never liked who didn't have to study for a test and they get an A-plus on it, some people don't have to take notes. Some of you have great memory. Good for you. But if you're like me, you need to take notes. You need to do what it takes to work out your salvation. You need to do something. Everybody's different. But if you're like me, take notes. Do whatever it takes. Do what you need to do to meditate and remember how God spoke to you this last week. Simple. Meditate. Number two, not only do we, again, this is all this stuff thing about revival, things I believe that we, will help us remain faithful and for us to keep our commitments or decisions we made. Number one, meditate. Number two, make a plan. And these are really simple. Okay, meditate. Make a plan. Go to 1 Corinthians really quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter number 14. 1 Corinthians chapter number 14 with me. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter number 14, again, number one, things that I believe will help us after a week of revival to, to keep our, our commitments, to help keep our decisions that we made, meditate. Meditate on what you heard. Don't forget how God spoke to you this last week. And, be, and as you're turning to 1 Corinthians 14, 40, uh, I think about a quote uh, uh, from doctor, his name is Dr. John Getch, an evangelist. I remember he said this, it makes me think about that meditation. He said, you know when we'll have revival? is when we make that, all we need is to make one decision and we'll have, we'll all see revival, he said. This is a decision we need to make. We need to make one decision to keep all the decisions we've already made. That's what he said. One decision to keep all the decisions we already made. But again, we forget just like that, don't we? We forget. Learn how to meditate. There's so many things in your lives, guys. Look, we're all busy in here, but I can promise you, if we were to go one by one, there's probably a lot of things in your life that you have to remember. There are probably a lot of things that you cannot forget. You cannot. They're just that important to you. Well, how important is God to you? How important is your spiritual growth? If you can remember these other worldly, secular things, which necessarily isn't wrong, then how much more should you work out your salvation now in the absence? How much more? So meditate. Number two, make a plan. 1 Corinthians 14, look with me at verse number 40. It says this, Let all things be done decently and in order. Think about this. If we're ever going to work out our faith and keep our revival and stay at it, then we need to get organized. I really believe that. We really need to get organized. Uh, let me give you an illustration about this really quickly. Okay? I know some of you have asked me about this, and some of you told me you saw my name in the prayer list, and I appreciate that. Okay? But make a long story short, okay? I'm just telling you, I, I have a, I don't know how, before any of you, I'm, just, I'm old. Amen? I'm old. This is how, okay? Because some of you always ask me, I told you, I told you I'm old all the time. You guys don't believe me. Well, guess what? Now I have back aches, okay? And every time you can ask Mr. Brown, I sit down at lunch, ugh, ugh, okay, I'm, I'm old. And right now, I have a lower right back fracture right now, okay? My lower right back is fractured. And you ask me, how do I do it? I don't know. Some people blame Sky Zone. Maybe it was, and I'm just old. I can't jump anymore, apparently, at a trampoline park, okay? I'm just too old for those things. But I remember uh, I went, okay? I, I, I went. I won't go into the whole story in details, but I, I went, and uh, long story short, it could have been my appendix that they thought, which could have been infected, whatever, because I was having a lot of pain here. I went. I got a CT scan. The doctor came in. He says, your appendix is fine. Praise the Lord. I was thankful for that. And then he told me, uh, but your lower right back is fractured. And my wife and I looked at each other, and we're like, huh? Since when? No wonder why I'm always uh, 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 like that makes more sense now, right? 
and I was just thinking, since when? What in the world is going on? And you know how, you know how silly it would have been if you would have just opened the door and said, well, your appendix is fine, but you have a lower right back fracture. I hope you get well soon. And just left me on my own? You know what I really want to know? What's the plan here? What's the plan? How do I fix this? Right? And, and that's what he told me, right? He's like, okay, just, I'm going to send in a physical therapist here in a second. And a physical therapist came in, and he was, you know, pressing, pressing all these joints, and I was like, ow, 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 right, all this stuff, and he's just showing me all this stuff, and, and then he, 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 helped, he helped me order uh, a back brace, and then he sent me up a schedule here for a physical therapist. You know what I'm telling you? I'm telling you about a plan. You know what he told me? He says, look, it's, it's not super bad. Yes, it's painful, but he told me, look, if you do and you stick to the plan that I'm giving you, you'll be fine. But he says, if you let this linger and you don't have a plan to fix this and you just let this go on for years, you're going to have serious back issues the older you get. But you know what I'm thankful for? A plan. He made a plan to get better. You know, I think about revival. It's like our CT scan, isn't it? We go through revival week and it scans us and we got all these things wrong and we just say goodbye. No, we need to sit down, church, and we need to seriously get organized and think about a plan. How are you going to fulfill what God wanted you to do this last week? How are you going to do it? What steps are you going to take in order to fix the issue that was brought up at Revival? You see, my wife says this all the time, and I love it, and I know she got it from somebody else, I don't remember, but it says, he who aims for nothing hits it every time. If you absolutely have no plan for your life, you, that, that's what you're going to get, nothing. If, if you expect to sit back in a revival service and just say, man, that was some good preaching, and you don't go home and, and sit down and say, what steps do I need to take? What's the plan for me to get here from here to here? Right? If, if you don't sit there, you're not going to get anywhere. You're going to stay put. And the Bible says, let everything be done decently and in order. And we Christians, if I of all people, I'm a, very, I'm not a very organized person, but the Lord's trying to teach me and help me. Reuben, get organized about your spiritual life. If you can get organized about your secular life, then you need to get organized and make a plan about your spiritual life. Think about those things, church. Number one, meditate. Number two, again, make a plan. Let all things be done decently and in order. How do you plan to keep the decisions you made? What steps have you taken to help you succeed? And last one, number three, Okay, last one, number two. So number one, meditate, make a plan, and last one, find a partner. Okay, say, what do you mean by this? Go to Ecclesiastes, okay? Ecclesiastes chapter number four. Ecclesiastes chapter number four there in your Old Testament. <clears throat> so number one, meditate. Number two, coming off of revival, these are things I really believe that are going to work out our salvation. These are things we really need to do to work out our salvation. So go to Ecclesiastes chapter number four. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes chapter number 4, we're going to start reading in verse number 9. This is the last one here, okay? Ecclesiastes chapter number 4, and look with me at verse number 9. It says this, Two are better than one. You guys know this. Because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth. For he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Meditate, make a plan, church, find a partner. You need to, you say, well, what are the benefits? Okay, what do you mean by finding a partner? I'm talking about find an accountability person. If God spoke to you this last week, you know what's really good is to find somebody and tell them the decision or the commitment you made to God. 
it's good to have accountability. It's good for somebody else. You say, why? Well, what are the benefits? Well, look, it helps to tell others a decision you make because it helps keep you accountable. Well, how? Well, what happens if you backslide? Nobody else knows the decision you made except for God. And what happens if you backslide? More than likely, you're going to keep on going back. But you know what's really nice about accountability? It says if one falls, guess who's going to be there to help them up? Your accountability partner. You know what you ought to do? Find someone. It could be your spouse. It can be maybe a youth pastor. It can be a pastor. But you need to go to somebody, church. Quit keeping your decisions and commitments to yourself. If it's that private, then that's between you and God. But I encourage you to find somebody and tell them what God is doing in your life. Not only will it be an accountability for you, but it will be an, a testimony and an encouragement for the other person. Saying, oh, look, I'm not the only person who God spoke to. I'm not the only person who God is working on. Find somebody that you can tell. Because if you fall, woe unto him that falls, the Bible says. Because if you're alone, who is going to be there to help you up? Nobody. You're there all by yourself. You're the only one that knows about the decision. You have nobody to question you, nobody to come up to you and say, hey, how are you doing on your Bible reading? Didn't you make a commitment on that? Hey, how are you doing on your prayer life? Didn't you make a commitment to that? Are you going soul willing? Didn't you say you're going to go soul winning? Are you... you have nobody that was going to ask you that. And it's a lot easier because you won't have to give anybody else an excuse because that's between you and God. And you know, and I know it's a lot easier when nobody knows the decisions we make, how easy it is to just not keep them. It's that much easier. Church, you need to be open, whether it's to your spouse or pastor or somebody, tell somebody of the decisions you make. Keep yourself accountable, and it'll keep you on fire. The Bible says, how can one be warm alone? But if two lie together, they have heat. You know, it's a lot easier to stay on fire when the people around you are on fire. Now, remember, they're not to blame. If you're not on fire, don't blame the church. Don't blame pastor. Don't blame the evangelist. If you're not on fire, it's, it's up to you individually. But look, it's a lot easier when you have a best friend or somebody next to you who's also doing it with you, isn't it? You need to find an accountability partner who can keep you on fire, who can keep you from backsliding, church. Three things I truly believe that will work out your salvation, church. Here's the conclusion. We are in charge of our spiritual growth. No one is to blame for our shortcomings. We have the responsibility to work out our own salvation. No one's to blame for our failings, but we have God's help, and He's working in us and through us. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed.